This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Life in the Light of Eternity, discussing how we should live in the light of the fact that Christ Jesus is coming back and how we follow the ways of our Savior as we do life in the light of His return. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of First Thessalonians. We started a new sermon series working through the book of First Thessalonians. We continue it today. And I'm very grateful that we get to take a look at this first chapter of the book of First Thessalonians together. It's a small book packed with such helpful, beautiful instruction. First Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse 2, and I'm going to read through verse 10. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonian, Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. As we take a look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, as we read this first chapter, we recognize the words contained within this chapter are words of introduction. Words of greeting, words that that come to the Thessalonian church from their church planter, from their spiritual father in the faith, words of someone who deeply and dearly loves this body of believers, who has a fatherly affection for them. And so he starts with an introduction, and this introduction is so packed with so much good stuff. And so I'm very excited to just dig into this chapter with you today and to take a look at the four different movements of this first chapter of scripture, to take a look at how um, the instruction here talks first about the thanksgiving that's offered by the apostle, but thanksgiving with a purpose. He thanks God that these Thessalonian Christians are chosen, that they are chosen to imitate, and they have been chosen to turn from their false worship and the idolatry which characterized them before the gospel came to them. They've been chosen to turn and serve the living and the true God. 
And so let's look at these words to this dearly loved body of believers and let's recognize that as we hear this message given to the Thessalonian church thousands of years ago, that this is the message given to us today that's still active and powerful by the Holy Spirit. That a loving God, our loving Father, has inspired these words for our benefit. And so let's start by taking a look at this introduction and this thanksgiving. So Paul begins his letter in a way that was common in letters at this time, written in the Roman Empire, written in the the Greco-Roman world. He starts with thanksgiving. You know, there were prayers that were offered by the pagans in the time of Paul as well. And oftentimes letters at this time would be begun with, with talk about prayer that had been offered to the gods and thanksgiving that had been offered to the gods for the person or the people that were being, uh, that were being written to. But Paul's letter is very distinct because while pagan letters at this time would talk about prayers, their prayers were almost always and exclusively for physical prosperity, for physical blessings. And you notice that that's not what Paul prays for in this first chapter. He doesn't give thanks that the Thessalonian church has been blessed with abundant wealth, that they've been preserved from pain or suffering. No. Take a look at how much is packed into Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians that were trusting in the Lord. Paul's prayer is constant. His prayer is constant. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul's prayer is not just one sort of now and again thoughtlessly shot up sort of thing. This is a constant act of the Apostle Paul. I am regularly in prayer, he is saying. I am always thanking God for you. I am constantly mentioning God, mentioning you to God when I approach him in prayer. This is the, this is the language of somebody that was a devoted prayer, that his life was characterized not just by sporadic approaching the Lord in prayer, but by constant focused prayer. That's awesome. His prayer is constant. His prayer is filled with gratitude. Now again, pagan prayers were so often about stuff. I'm glad that you have this. I'm glad that you're well. I'm glad that you have been blessed with wealth. I'm glad that you have been preserved from suffering. But do you notice what he prays for? Gratitude for others. We give thanks to God for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness and hope. He doesn't pray thanking God that they have stuff. He prays and thanks God that they have a working faith, a laboring love, that they have a steadfast hope. Notice his prayers are filled with the awareness of God as well. These are God-aware prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor and love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes as he prays that when he remembers the Thessalonian church before the Lord God, that he is actually in the presence of God as he prays. This is an amazing thing, isn't it? I don't, no matter how many years I continue on as a Christian, when I take time to think about this, it always amazes me. The most glorious being in the entire universe, the one who has created all things, the one who has so much control that that, that he upholds the whole universe with his hand, the one without whose authority nothing could happen, the one who is so great and so glorious and so mighty that he inclines his ear to us. That's amazing, isn't it? 
that when you pray, you approach the God of the universe and he says, let's talk, let's catch up. This is astounding. And it's something that can be beneficial to our prayer life when we recognize, you know, this is not just, this is not just a tradition. This is me engaging with the God of the universe. I'm coming to God when I pray. His prayers recall Christian faithfulness. As he prays and as he prays for the Thessalonian Christian, he gives thanks for their Christian faithfulness. How often does this characterize your prayers or, or my prayers? How often when you, when you pray, are your prayers filled with prayer for other people? And how often are your prayers consumed with thanking God for the faithfulness of those Christians that you know that trust and follow after the Lord God? I'll tell you what, too often my own prayers can drift into praying for stuff. The type of pagan prayers that existed at the time of Paul. It's not often enough that when I pray, I pray for others and I thank God for their faithfulness. And, and notice also that the prayers of Paul are Christ-centered, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes that, that Christ is the one in whom they have been saved. Christ is the one that they serve and follow. Christ is the one that joins them together as a family. Christ is the one who has redeemed. And so Christ is at the center of his prayer life. This is a really instructive thing for all of us who seek to pray faithfully. Prayer that is faithful would be prayer like this. Prayer that is constant. Prayer that is filled with gratitude. Prayer that is for others. Prayer that is filled with the awareness of the presence of God. Prayer that recalls Christian faithfulness. And prayer that is Christ-centered. If you and I pray like that in increasing measure, that is beautiful and that is good. And you notice he, he talks about the fount that, that kind of allows his prayers to flow. His prayers have a gratitude that comes from a specific source. That he, along with the Thessalonian Christians, have been chosen. This is what verse 4 says. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Here, the Bible is using language and applying it to the believers in Thessalonica, applying it to the Thessalonian Christians. It's applying the same sort of language that had been applied to the chosen of God in the Old Testament. Israel, the chosen people of the Lord. This is what Deuteronomy 7 verses 6 through 8 says. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's because the Lord loves you that he's chosen you. God says to the people of Israel in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. It's because God loves you, not because of anything special about you in and of yourselves, but because God has determined to love you, that God has chosen you, Israel, is what Deuteronomy is saying. Because he loves you. And here in 1 Thessalonians, this language that had throughout the Old Testament been used for God's chosen people, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses for the Thessalonian Christians, you are the beloved of the Lord, he says to the church. You are the beloved, chosen people of God, he says to the church. This is beautiful. 
God had chosen Israel to be his own, Abraham and his descendants, but there was always the hope that a redeemer would come and would ingraft the nations into the people of Israel, that God's chosen people would expand, that all flesh, as the prophet Joel says, would receive the Holy Spirit, that God's people would be expanded beyond the ethnic bounds of the people of Israel. And that's what happened when Christ Jesus came. The nations were ingrafted. And so the New Testament uses the same language as the Old Testament, the chosen people of God. And the New Testament says, if you trust Jesus, you're a part of that group of chosen people. You're a part of the family that is dearly loved by God. Let me tell you this. I know that there are people here today who are tempted to believe that they, that you are not good enough or not lovable enough. Let me tell you this. In line with what 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4 says, God loved you enough to choose you to be his own. God looked at you in eternity past and determined that you would be his child, that you would be his own. God loves you. God finds you lovable. God looked at you who are in Christ Jesus and he said, I choose you. You are my own. God had chosen the Thessalonian believers. God has chosen those who trust and follow him today. And I find this to be so deeply powerful. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Life in the Light of Eternity, discussing how we follow the ways of our Savior as we do life in the light of His return. If your heart is saying today, you know, I want to be a part of I want to be a part of God's team. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that family. I want to be one of the ones chosen by God. That is an indication that that he has or is drawing you to himself. And it's time to start playing on his team. Time to start living like his child. It's time to start trusting in Jesus. And if you trust in Jesus... The same thing is happening to you that happened to the Thessalonian Christians 2,000 years ago... The gospel comes, and you believe, and you hear, and you trust, and you reveal the fact that God chose you. That is amazing. And here's the way it happens. Verse 5 explains how it happens. Verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Here's what happens when somebody is saved, when somebody starts to act like they have been chosen. They hear the gospel message about how Christ Jesus saves, about how God saves sinners, about how all who trust in Jesus Christ are saved from the wrath that is to come. You hear that message, and then the Holy Spirit works in your heart. And he softens what was once stone. He turns it into a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit works upon you and makes alive the one who was once dead. And you hear the gospel message and you say, I believe that. I trust in Christ Jesus. That means the Holy Spirit has worked within you. And he is saving and redeeming you. So that the gospel message is not just words, but it is the power of salvation in Christ Jesus. This happens when the Holy Spirit works. 
And if you trust in Jesus this morning, that means a mighty work has been accomplished in your own life and in your own heart. It means that God has called you to be his own and that God has made you alive by his Holy Spirit. And as we gather together and as we hear the gospel proclaimed on the Lord's day and as we encounter Christ Jesus in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit continues to work to renew us in faith, to grow our trust, to deepen our trust in Christ Jesus. God is at work within you, revealing the fact that all who are in Christ Jesus have been chosen to be in his family. And you and I and all who trust in Jesus Christ have been chosen for a purpose. We've been chosen to imitate. And that's what the text tells us as well. And you became imitators of us and the Lord says, verse 6, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's verse 6. You've been chosen to imitate. Paul here talks to the Thessalonian Christians and he says, you've been chosen, you've become a part of the family of God and in being a part of the family of God, you started acting like God. This is what happens for all of those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who are part of his family. Those who spend time with the Lord God start acting like the Lord acts. Those that follow after a faithful leader start acting like that faithful leader. Those who have been chosen begin to imitate This is just a general principle of life. I'm sure that you've seen it happen, that that those who who spend time with a certain person start to act like that person. You can see it in a whole bunch of different ways, but let me tell you one way that I experienced it this week. Now, if you've known my wife for any length of time, you know that a defining feature of her personality is kindness. She's someone who is very encouraging and very loving. It's the first thing that I noticed about her. It's the first thing that caused me to be uh, the second thing that caused me to be attracted to her. (laughs) The first thing was looking at her. (laughs) And so one of the things that, one of the things that I've prayed for and hoped for is that our children would follow their mom's example in kindness and love like that. And I'll tell you what, it happened this week. I don't know if you've ever eaten cocoa wheats. But we eat cocoa wheats in the Bukema household, the creamy hot cereal with the cocoa treat. And um, it, it's, uh, it's something that we've just been, you know, Aubrey was just introduced to and our daughter was just introduced to. And so I made it a couple of different times this week. And so I served my wife some cocoa wheats. I served my daughter some cocoa wheats. And I was sitting next to Elsie and she looked over at me and she said, good job making cocoa wheats, Dada. And I thought, she's acting like her mother. (laughs) She's an imitator of her mom. You know, when you're a part of the family, you start acting like your parents. When you spend time with somebody, you start acting like the person that you have been been spending time with. You have been chosen for a purpose, to act like your heavenly father. He's chosen you to be a part of his family. And as you spend time with him, Within his family, you will act like him. And so you and I need to spend time with the Lord. You and I need to encounter our Savior in the pages of Scripture. You and I need to approach God in prayer and have a conversation with the God of the universe. You and I need to be in corporate worship. We need to spend time with the Lord. And as we do so, we will find that we begin to be imitators of the Lord. You will also imitate your leaders. Paul had planted the Thessalonian church, 
and the church imitated him. And the church was imitating the other leaders that had founded this church. There's, there's something that you often see in church plants. It's really difficult for church plants to move from the church planter to the minister that comes second in line. It's hard for any church, if a pastor has been serving for a long period of time, for the next pastor to come in because the church takes on the character of of the minister and and follows and begins to imitate the minister in a bunch of different ways. But this is especially noticeable in church plants. And so one of the things that you find is that it is extremely difficult to move on from the church planter, the, the, the pastor who comes in and plants the church, and the second pastor in line. And that's because church plants often are uniquely shaped and formed by the one who has planted them. They start to imitate their leader. And there's an obvious implication in all of this, isn't there? The leaders that you spend time sitting under, you will begin to imitate. Be careful, therefore, what Christians you will read, what Christian music you listen to, what Christian conferences you attend, or what Christian media you take in. Be careful in all things, but particularly with those you are seeking to learn the faith from, because you will begin to imitate them for better or for worse. So I went to a Christian college, and there were a number of my friends there at Wheaton College who got excited about various leaders in the evangelical world who loved to criticize the church. And don't get me wrong, there are times where the church needs to be lovingly criticized, but if that's the central aspect of your work, there's a problem. There were a lot of my friends that liked to start following after Christian leaders who enjoyed pushing the boundaries or suggest unorthodox things or ask, did God really say that? And many of my friends would follow those leaders into caustic criticism or even then into unbelief. And it's always one of the most heartbreaking things in the world to me when I see someone that I know and love work their way into unbelief and rejection of the gospel. Tears me apart when I see that. And a lot of times the the, the beginning point of that was following less than faithful Christian leaders. But there's another story as well, conversely. There were those who began imitating really faithful Christian leaders and teachers. There's one example of that that I remember the, the most specifically. One night, later in the evening, I was driving some, some friends of mine back to Wheaton College from a church event that we had been at together. I don't remember the church event. I just remember that we had a relatively extended car ride. I was driving. There was somebody right next to me in my 2000 Dodge Intrepid. There were three people in the back seat as well. One of them was a young man named Scott. He was a few years older than me. He's a really thoughtful Christian guy. And he asked the sort of question that you might not expect when a group of college and just post-college students are together. He asked, so what theologians presently living have had the biggest impact on your life? He said, in fact, if you were to say one theologian who's had the biggest impact on your life, who would that be? And I was the driver, so I got to go first. I broke the rules, maybe unsurprisingly. I named four theologians that had been the most formative for me. It was like probably Thomas Wynandy, Tim Keller, Peter Verhulst, my pastor growing up, and of course, my mom. Because that is the theologian who's had the biggest impact on me. Never underestimate the power of a mom. Moms, you have such deep theological impact on your children. After that, the person behind me went, and then next to that person, then next to that person, then coming around to the other person in the car, they all followed the rules. They all gave one theologian that had been the most influential. And the answer for all of them was the same person. It was John Piper. John Piper said the person directly in back of me, and then to his right, and then to his right, and then in front of her is John Piper, John Piper, John Piper, John Piper. Now again, don't get me wrong. 
John Piper is a a fallible human being. He would be the first to admit his own sinfulness. I'm not saying that Piper is perfect. But the people that were driving with me in the car that evening appreciated the right and the, the really good things about him. They appreciated the things that should be imitated. They loved John Piper's all-surpassing commitment to the glory of God. They loved his desire to preach the Bible and and to direct Christians to know and understand the Bible. They loved his love for the scripture. They were inspired by his passion for the truth of God's word, and they were deeply moved by his desire to see the nations know that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is God. And so we spent some time talking about how much they loved his commitment to the nations, to the gospel, to seeing the world come to know Jesus Christ. That night, as I was driving that 2000 Dodge Intrepid, there were people filling the car who were pursuing all manner of different fields of study. Each one was incredibly gifted. You know that each one of those people in the car became a missionary? Most of them in places that I can't mention because they're serving in places where the government will not allow the spread of the gospel. Having been awakened by Pastor John Piper to the need for the world to know Jesus, having been encouraged by him to love God's word and his glory above all else, they devoted themselves to the world knowing Jesus. Who are you sitting under? Who are you imitating? You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.